eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. I'm here with Joe Volpe, fantasy football analyst. What's up, player? Dude, congratulations on 50,000 followers on Instagram. Dude, I see how hard you work on on the account and and all of that. And I'm just, I'm glad that you were able to surpass this very, I, I, you know, it's, it's a huge threshold, man, because there's not that many accounts that, you know, have reached that threshold. And you're in one of those phases of, of it where like, you're still growing. Like, it's not like, you know, you're, you're stagnant, like you're still growing. And yeah, like, yeah. I feel like you're going to probably hit 60 soon and you're going to keep going. But like a lot of people like mess with your content, man. So, so congratulations. I just want to clap. Oh, sweet. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no oh, problem, sweet. man. Now we can no get back to bashing man. me for liking Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that was the good news. No? <laughs> All, right. All right. So guys, uh, so the last week of preseason has finished. So we have a bye week where, we are going to be, you know, kind of bored because there's going to be no football, which sucks because like, you know, we got like a nice dose of football over the last couple of weeks. And now we have to wait. We have to wait about eight days, nine days now. Today's we're recording this on Tuesday. The podcast is going to come out on Wednesday, but you know, we got to wait, you know, by the time the podcast comes about out about a week. So, you know, whatever, it's fine, but it sucks because we, we have to go a whole weekend without, without football. So uh, that being said, not a ton of teams played their starters this week. There were a handful of teams that like played their starters way too much, uh, you know, for, for the last week of preseason. And we've seen like obviously a bunch of guys, you know, get hurt and a couple of guys, unfortunately, getting, you know, season end injuries. Um, and we're going to hit that right now. We're going to get into the news, a uh, couple pieces of news first before we get uh, into some, you know, news and notes from the preseason games uh, to kind of wrap up preseason and to get our like final ideas on, on how these, you know, players might be valued, you know, from a fantasy football perspective going into the season. Um, the first thing, you know, from today, Cam Newton was released by the Patriots. Um, you know, 
he obviously had a little bit of an issue with the COVID protocols. Um, it does not seem like he was vaccinated, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it got to the point where he had to, like, I guess, leave you know, the vicinity of wherever the Patriots practice and go somewhere or whatever. And, like, he didn't get tested when he needed to. And he needed to stay away for a few days and that kind of opened the door for Mac Jones, uh, the infamous uh, low five from Bill Belichick to, to uh, Mac Jones. And it seems like that right there was a sign that he was going to get the job. And, and that's what happened. Um, he, you know, it was a competition this summer and Mac Jones won that competition. And now Cam Newton is likely, go, you know, he's a free agent now. He's going to, uh, probably land on another team. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I would assume that he might have to get vaccinated first because I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not trying to make this into like a, a vaccinated anti-vax to podcast, but like I'm assuming, I'm not sure that a lot of teams want to uh, have that, you know, kind of have that uh, worry, right? With, with their starting quarterback uh, is, you know, is, is a threat to miss games at any point you know, for whatever reason. Right. And it's not just because if you get COVID, but there's a lot of other ways you can miss games. Um, if you're not vaccinated, unfortunately. So now moving on to the Patriots, Mac Jones is the guy. He's the week one starter. Um, for me, this really boosts up Damian Harris, man. Like it really does. Like Cam Newton, he was going to run the ball, you know, he, not as many pass attempts. Um, he was going to steal some goal line carries away from Damian Harris. Now it looks like Damian Harris is going to get all of the goal line carries whenever they get there. Um, he's the clear winner uh, to me. Um, there are a couple of more winners, but I want to get your take. Like what, what's your first thought uh, when, you know, you heard the news and uh, how are you looking at this Patriots team moving forward? Yeah. So first of all, as someone who was, uh, how do I say, a fan of uh, Cam Newton this year. And I, I made a couple of videos and we've talked a lot here about the strategy of taking a guy like Cam Newton and topping him off with a guy like uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance or something like that. It kind of having that QB1 to start the year and a QB1 to end the year. Obviously not the case with him being flat out released. I don't think any of us really expected him to be just completely released like that. But yeah, I mean, this whole offense changes. As a, as a Patriots fan, I, I'm not a huge fan on Mac Jones, but Bill Belichick knows more than I do. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take his word for this. Uh, running back wise, James White, huge value, huge value. If you were able, able to get him anywhere in drafts. I mean, it was just two years ago where James White was like a top 20 running back. Last year with Cam Newton, he kind of fell off because guess what? They didn't really pass the ball at all. But Mac Jones is not running for first downs. Uh, he, he has that in common with Brady, I'll say that. But, um, yeah, so running back-wise, James White looking a lot better in PPR. Damien Harris, he's the guy there. I mean, he might be worth a, a fringe fifth, sixth-round pick at this point. Um, he's going to get a ton of goal line work. He's going to get a ton of early down work. I really don't see Ramondre Stevenson as a threat, which we can talk later on if we want, but uh, not a huge fan of Ramondre. Jacoby Myers, his stock has been skyrocketing ever since Faraz discovered that I discovered him. <laughs> 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 he's been skyrocketing, and this 
really, really does help his value. So uh, Jacoby Myers is also looking great right now. And uh, yeah, man, I, I mean, the, the tight ends, Hunter Henry, John Lewis Smith, I'm not interested in Nelson Aguilar, but all these pass catchers get a boost, essentially. Basically, everybody gets a boost. Is that a good thing? When everybody yeah, gets it, a boost. When <laughs> everyone gets a boost. You get a boost, you get a boost, everyone gets a boost. Yeah. But I, I agree, man. Like, you know, listen, uh, I love Cam too, but he wasn't the most accurate quarterback in the league, right? And, and I think Mac Jones, Mac Jones was one of the most Jones. accurate quarterbacks uh, in college football. So that if he can bring any of that to the NFL, it seems like guys like Jacoby Myers who could separate pretty well, like this, he's gonna he's gonna be targeted more because there's gonna be less rush attempts by the quarterback. And number two, those targets might be more accurate, right? That's kind of what you're looking for. Now, I, I, I am not, you know, interested in Nelson Aguilar from a fantasy perspective. As of right now, I'm not drafting him. But we've seen instances in the past where, like, you know, a guy like Curtis Samuel would be running deep and Cam Newton can't hit him, right? And he, but he's open, Right. And Nelson Aguilar it, it could have had similar issues this year. And I think Mac Jones would have a better time, you know, hitting Nelson Aguilar deep in stride than Cam Newton. It's just, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree. Jacoby Myers is somebody who, who gets a bump should have been drafted anyway. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, if you're, if you're late in drafts and you want some running by depth, I agree. I think James White in a, in a full PPR league is the way to go. I wouldn't draft him in any other format, uh, even in half PPR. Uh, but yeah, no, I think James, James White uh, get, gets a bump because Cam Newton, there, there, there might have been times where instead of dumping the ball down to James White, he's going to run the ball. Number one, number two, like you said, uh, there were more, but there, there was going to be more rushing attempts overall with cam newton there there was patriots were one of the most run heavy teams um they, they should still be run heavy going into the season but with their running backs rather than uh with their quarterback so um very interesting moving forward we'll see how matt jones progresses uh but you know if you're if you're a patriots fan you know like i would be excited just to kind of see what you got you know in in the rookie and the fact that bill belichick is starting a rookie uh is 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 super interesting to me as well so uh, it, it that just probably it just seems to me like he has some he has some faith in him, you know. So that's it's going to be interesting going into the season. Um, now, Ramondre Stevenson. So by the way, like since we're talking about the subject, let, let's just I want to hit this Patriots Giants game sure. real quick, and then we'll get back to the news. Um, and it's related to Damian Harris. Uh, Damian Harris. Uh, I, I talked about a third back potentially, you know, working their way into the rotation. Um, and it's possible that it does happen, you know, with either Ramondre Stevenson or, or JJ Taylor. But in this past preseason game, after they traded Sony Michelle, there was no third running back that came into the rotation with the starters. It was Damian Harris on all early downs and James White on passing downs. So a simple two man backfield for now. And the hope is that it stays that way because we want this backfield as tightly distributed as possible with clear roles. Uh, that would be ideal because that's not what we've had with the Patriots over the past, like 15 years for fantasy. So that, that, that's the hope that that, that continues. Now, let me ask you this question. You, you talked about Ramondre Stevenson, potentially, we talked about this before we started recording Ramondre Stevenson, potentially being overvalued 
But yeah. let me ask you this. Is there any value in drafting Ramondre Stevenson late? There could be. And I kind of view him as Damian Harris's handcuff. If Damian yes. Harris were to go down, he's clearly the bigger back for goal line. He's clearly the early down guy. And in that respect, yes, there would be some value there. I agree. But for me, him going in the 11th round is ridiculous. He got Is he really? 11th round. That's his ADP right now. Wow. I did not realize that. So, okay. yeah, he's going in the 11th round. And this dude had no snaps with the starters at all during any of the preseason games. Correct. Um, and then when you think about how good Ramondre Stevenson did, let's talk about how good J.J. Taylor did, right? Because at times, J.J. Taylor played better than him. I mean, in that first week, Ramondre Stevenson in like what the second to last play in the entire game ran for an 80 round 80 yard touchdown and blew up his stat sheet, made him look good in front of everybody who was watching week one preseason because we all were, but nobody was watching two and three because in week two, JJ Taylor had 7.8 yards per carry and he had 93 yards on the ground with 12 carries. He did better than Ramondre Stevenson and got more targets in each of the three weeks. And then the last week, Ramondre Stevenson, 23 yards, JJ Taylor, 76 yards. To, I, mean, I mean, in all aspects, other than Ramondre Stevenson's big run, J.J. Taylor was the better running back in preseason. And they were basically playing – it was kind of like um, Damien Harris and James White. Then this awkward phase in the middle where, like, Sony Michelle would, like, come in with, like, James White and, like, a little J.J. Taylor and whatever. And then that last phase would be J.J. Taylor and Ramondre Stevenson kind of playing that Damien Harris and Sony Michelle type role, except – J.J. Taylor would see more of the rushes. <laughs> so my, my whole point is, why are we not hyping up J.J. Taylor the same way we're hunting up Ramondre Stevenson? J.J. Taylor did just as good. And it's, that's what confuses me about the situation. I don't view Ramondre Stevenson as a threat to Damian Harris. I view him as a handcuff. If you're going to take Harris with a sixth pick or seventh, fifth pick, whatever, and he gets hurt, Stevenson can come in and play that role. I look to the upside of Harris as like LeGarrette Blount in 2016. LeGarrette Blount was the running back nine that year he had 18 rushing touchdowns which is a little absurd but it just kind of goes to show the amount of work that they were willing to give their guy when they had him and i believe damian harris is that guy i mean he had over five yards per carry last year and he saw some of the most stacked boxes in the entire league and that offensive line wasn't right there, there was a lot with the patriots that wasn't right last year damian harris still came through so i'm all in on damian harris roger stevenson doesn't bother me at all you think damian harris is being underdrafted right now yeah, I think he is. And I think a large part of that is because of Ramondre Stevenson. I, I think Ramondre Stevenson is a huge... And look, when I say underdrafted, I'm saying he's worth a fifth, sixth-round pick. He's going end of the sixth, beginning of the seventh. It's a one-round difference. But in that one round, he kind of joins the conversation of Chase Edmonds, Javante Williams, um, you know, guys like that. I think he belongs in that conversation, not in the, okay, we'll leave him for the scraps with Zach Moss. Like, I, I believe he's... And Zach Moss and Michael Carter. I believe he's kind of earned the right to be in that tier. That was a great explanation, man. That was awesome. Thank you. I'm, I'm just glad I was here for that. Okay. All right. Let's move on to, uh, for some news. I, I have no, I have nothing to add to that. That, that was good. Um, J.K. Dobbins. Unfortunately, J.K. Dobbins went down. Everyone knows with that ACL injury, he's out for the year. Gus Edwards becomes the 1A, de facto 1A in that backfield. Now, they have a running back named Tyson Williams, not Tyson, 
but Tyson, Tyson. Williams. Um, he is the other big back in that backfield. He had a you know pretty good preseason. He had some plays that will make you think that wow, that 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 was a good preseason play right there. Um, and then they have what's up? What's their other running back's name? The satellite back that Justice they have. Justice Hill. Justice Hill. Boom. Justice Hill is going to be their passing down back most likely. Um, now here's a situation where you know you want to you know upgrade Gus Edwards, obviously. Um, you know, in the beginning, when I was looking at this, this news, you know, I figured that, okay, like, you know, this is going to be a committee in a big way, no matter what, right? Like this touches are going to be close to 50, 50, right. And we, that was definitely, I think that was going to be the case between JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards, like maybe not 50, 50, but more like 60, 40, right. In terms of touches between JK and, and Gus Edwards, something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, 5743. I don't know. A little bit closer. Now, Gus Edwards had a case to, you know, be on the field, right? Because he was efficient last year. Um, he was productive and he was, he's a hard nosed runner and he fits the offense and he, he did well. I think over the past few seasons, like it wasn't just last year where he, he contributed and he was really good. So I can understand why they, they, they had, they had a, they had a back on that team to say, okay, we can keep JK fresh. Right, like we can keep him fresh for the postseason, and we can have a nice one-two running back duo, and just run it down everyone's throats every single week. Now, does J.K. Dobbins have that type of backup to kind of make coaches say, like, okay, we're gonna have this similar type of? Oh, what did I say, J.K.? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does does Gus Edwards have that type of back behind him? Um, where coaches are going to say like, okay, well, let's take Gus off the field and let this guy get 40% of the touches and Gus Edwards 60. I, I don't know that's the case, right? I don't know that the coaches view Tyson Williams as someone like that. And I don't know if the Ravens are necessarily going to sign somebody who will fit that mold and, and be that guy, right? Um, so for now, I think that Gus Edwards is in a better situation than J.K. Dobbins is, J.K. Dobbins was going into this season. Now, obviously, J.K. Dobbins was a superior talent, like the way superior talent. And if you give J.K. Dobbins like 20 touches a game, this guy's going to destroy the league. Absolutely. But, but you know, it, it, Gus Edwards, I think, has a firmer lock on, you know, the majority of touches. And it, it, I think the touch distribution is going to be uh, wider between him and the next back than it would have been between J.K. Dobbins and him. So I do view, you know, right now I view Gus Edwards as like a, you know, fringe RB2 at this point, you know, like a a solid flex play, touchdown dependent flex play. I can totally see him getting like 17 touches a game, 16 carries and like one catch (laughs) a game, something like that. Um, And I think that will be enough you know, to get him volume and he'll, the good thing with this situation is that he's going to get all the goal line touches when it comes to this backfield, at least Lamar Jackson is going to get his right. But before it was split between JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards, right. In those last like seven games, Dobbins had like, uh, I think it was like, uh, I think it was seven to four or eight to four in terms of inside the five touches uh, while both of these guys were healthy. Um, so it's one of those things where like now, you know, it's either going to be Lamar or it's going to be Gus and, and not have that third back involved. So, 
he's he definitely gets a bump. Um, but just know that he's not involved in the pass game. He's going to be touchdown dependent. It's a good offense, no doubt. Um, and it's an efficient offense, no doubt. Um, but just keep in mind that, you know, the Ravens might ha- add somebody to this backfield. And, you know, Tyson Williams, you know, might be uh, pretty involved. And, you know, I just wouldn't expect Gus Edwards to get like, you know, 22, 23 carries a game. Like, don't expect that. Yeah, so my take is a little different. I, I'm not I'm not nearly as confident in Gus, only because I feel like what would have made Dobbins okay in that third, fourth turn where I would consider taking Dobbins is, you, you talked about it before, how good of a running back J.K. Dobbins is. Yeah. Um, Edwards is definitely good, but he's not J.K. Dobbins good. And I, 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 like you said, I don't see a situation where he's getting 20 carries. And with 15 carries, if, if he's not, making those breakaway runs, that's a dud game, right? And, and I feel like another thing, too, is, yeah, there might be a larger touch distribution between him and another guy, but I think what happens in this situation is all these other guys start to pick up more slack. So we see Lamar taking more goal line carries, Lamar taking more early carries than he would have if it was Dobbins and Edwards. Um, we see Tyson Williams. He's going to come in, take some early down work. He could take some goal line work. You know, he'll filter in here and there. And I think rather than a guy like Dobbins, who on third downs, they were talking about using him as a pass catcher, rather than keeping Edwards on the field or keeping a guy like Dobbins, who they would have on the field, I think that's when Justice Hill is going to come in. He's going to come in passing down situations. He's going to come in on third down situations. Last year, when J.K. Dobbins missed a game, Edwards had like 51% of the snaps and Justice Hill had like 49% of the snaps. So this was a near even split in the very, very small sample size that we had. So for me, and in that game, Gus Edwards did crap on the ground, by the way. He was just not a good uh, on the ground, so that could have played a part. But for, for me, I don't want to trust Edwards as my running back two or running back three, only because they could still add a free agent as well. Like, door is not closed. They're not pursuing Todd Gurley at this time, but we just had every single team in the NFL cut down to 53 players, and there's some running backs that have become available that might make sense for a team like Baltimore. I mean, imagine Jordan Howard and him kind of going one and two. Not that Jordan Howard is still at the epitome of his career, but I'm just saying, like, these are guys who were not previously available who have now made themselves available. The veterans, they could come in a week before the season starts and they could play more of a role or take down touchdown whatever. So for me, if I'm drafting this weekend and the Ravens still haven't picked anyone up, I'm being extra careful with Edwards because I'll feel comfortable knowing who they picked up and what kind of role Edwards is going to have. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that possibility is very likely. Um, and I think that, you know, you have to be very careful drafting. I, I play in PPR leagues, man. Like, and yeah. it's just not some, he's not someone I'm interested in now. Do I think that he's going to end up as a low end RB two? Probably, you know, because of the fact that he's going to score touchdowns. Um, I can see him, you know, getting like, you know, will he, uh, is it possible for him to get like some 17, 18, 19 carry games? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think if they're, if they're up, I think that he does have that in him did he do it before with the ravens yeah he has um but at the same time like i'm i'm somebody who is steering clear for the most part uh, i think a lot of people are taking him like in that third fourth round range and that's just i i would never do that because there's so many wide receivers you know in that range who are more you know much you know sh- uh more predictable bets that i'd rather make 
um, you know, the only way I would take someone like Gus Edwards is if he's available in like the sixth round or something like that. Um, and I'm not taking him over Damian Harris, right? So that, that's kind of how I see this situation. Damian Harris has his job secure and we know that he's going to be the early down guy. Uh, well, we hope we do. Uh, and Gus Edwards is in a similar boat, but the difference there is that Gus Edwards doesn't have, I mean, Damian Harris doesn't have someone vulturing touchdowns from him, right? <laughs> like, like, like uh, that, that's the one thing that Gus Edwards has to, you know, has, has to battle uh, every single week. So, um, it, you know, he definitely gets a bump up for sure. Um, I think he ends up as a low-end RB2 and a flex, but it's not, definitely not someone that I want to depend on. Um, okay, m- moving on. Uh, T.Y. Hilton has a neck injury. Uh, not good. You know, he's this kind of opens the door uh, for a tighter target distribution uh, in in Indy, right? So you have uh, Michael Pittman, you know, who's, uh, you know, can be on the verge of a breakout season this year. Um, you right. have Paris Campbell, you know, fighting with Zach uh, Pascal for that slot role. Uh, it's possible that we end up seeing both of these guys on the field in 11 personnel uh, because of the fact that T.Y. Hilton might be out for a while. Um, this injury could be season ending potentially. Uh, he could be out for several weeks. Who knows? But a neck injury is never good. A neck injury doesn't seem to me like a, an injury where someone just comes back after a few weeks. Um, so, you know, I'll definitely be taking my shots on Michael Pittman late. Um, well, relatively late. He's not going super late, but he's going, you know, in that 10th, 11th round range. Um, and I think that value is fine for him uh, because he could potentially be the number one target uh, in that offense. Yeah, I mean, with, with Pittman, and, and you know, the thing with this Colts offense is like, when you're looking at Carson Wentz and you're looking at the team, you're like, okay, he's going to throw to someone, right? Because it seems like none of these pass catchers are being mentioned. Jonathan Taylor is barely a first rounder now. None of these wide receivers are even being considered in the top 40. None of the tight ends are even on anybody's radar. Like someone has to be relevant here. Um, Michael Pittman is the guy that comes to mind. I'm interested in Michael Strachan. He's a uh, six foot five beast. He had a great preseason. Um, he, he's a later round pick, but he's, you know, one of those fast risers. And at the, at this moment, he's currently listed, I believe as fifth on their depth chart. So he's behind T.Y. Hilton behind Michael Pittman, behind Paris Campbell, behind Zach Pascal. The only issue here is that who's going to play the outside? Because if T.Y. Hilton is out and Michael Pittman's in, and then Paris Campbell and Zach Pascal are both the slot guys, then you would, I mean, they might play two tight end sets, who knows? But if Michael Strachan kind of establishes himself as the other outside wide receiver, he might get some real playing time. And I mean, buying into a late round rookie not something I want to do. I, I, I'm just someone has to be relevant here and it could be more than one dude. I think Michael Pittman's a great pick, but I, I'm, you know, if I can get Michael Strachan with my last pick and God forbid he turns into something great. If he doesn't, then whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I, and I think that he's more of a dynasty look to me. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, someone I'm more excited about dy- in dynasty than I am sure. in redraft this year. Um, for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I just feel like he has a lot more to overcome um, to see time in the field, to see the targets than, you know, these other guys, right? Like Michael Pittman, who seems to have established himself as like the only like real mainstay, 
you know, on this, you know, in this starting lineup in terms of like a wide receiver. Um, you know, none of these tight ends uh, are going to be, you know, seem to be like, you know, huge magnets when it comes to the passing game, right? So like, like you said, like it needs to go somewhere, right? It's, I, I feel like it's going to go to this backfield, and it's and you know we know how bad Carson Wentz is tar- is at targeting running backs, uh, but I think Michael Pittman is, is that guy. And we've seen Carson Wentz obviously target the slot. Paris Campbell, I think, you know, hopefully he can win that job out because you know how much of a fan I am of him. Um, and he, you can get him off of waivers, uh, you know, after week one, right before week one, you know. But we'll see. Uh, during preseason, Zach Pascal was playing over him, which sucks. Paris Campbell was playing in the game after the starters came out of the game. Hopefully, it's only is just because they want to get his conditioning right. You know, since he didn't play all season last year, who knows what it is? Who knows? I'm just making excuses for Paris Campbell. But um, <laughs> you know, I think both of these guys uh, need to be looked at, and especially with the injury to T.Y. Hilton, we have to start paying attention to these Colts wide receivers because the target distribution. You know, let, let's say T.Y. Hilton got at least 80 targets this year, right? It probably would have been more if he stayed healthy somehow. Um, that If that gets distributed in, in a tight manner to a couple, like one or two other wide receivers, mostly two wide receivers, like you're looking at, you know, some really fantasy relevant guys. So, you know, don't like you know, just count out these, these Colts wide receivers. They're in good, they're in a good system. Uh, and Carson Wentz, you know, is a capable quarterback, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, having fa- heavy fantasy relevant wide receivers. Remember, you know, he was, he, he was, you know, doing just fine uh, on the Eagles at some point and they had like no weapons. So I think mm-hmm. he'll do a little bit better in a better system and one that is quarterback friendly. All right. Uh, Irv Smith. Starting tight end for the Vikings has will miss some time. Um, I think it's an MCL injury, so yeah, he'll be out. Expected to probably miss the first four weeks of the season is, is the last thing I saw. Yeah, so you know, in those first four weeks, yeah, I guess you know a little bit of a tighter distribution between Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. I don't really expect, uh, and Dalvin Cook. I don't really expect um, you know anybody to emerge turned in. Uh, in this time. Um, and and you broke it. Then they proceed to trade for Chris Herndon. <laughs> oh, no. Chris Herndon, everybody's fantasy sweetheart, uh, has has reemerged uh, from the ashes. The Jets left him for dead. Adam Gase killed him, mm-hmm. and Robert Sala refused to Shipped revive off him. his body. <laughs> Shipped off his body uh, to the island of. Minnesota. <laughs> so uh, I, I I don't think this guy's going to be fantasy relevant, but they do need some depth and they do, they do need some passing uh, tight end, like, you know, some tight end who's going to be able to run some routes and he'll be able to do that just fine because he probably ran the most routes of any tight end last year without getting a target. There you uh, go. So, yeah, practice. so yeah, there you go. So he can practice with them and he'll be fine. Uh, but listen, Irv Smith, as much as Mike Zimmer was talking shit about Irv Smith during the offseason, <laughs> Irv Smith was fire this, this preseason in terms of usage. Yeah. Um, he was running a shit ton of routes with the first team. His route, route participation was near 80%, which is like, that's what you want to see. You know, and um, he's somebody who could potentially, you know, be a little bit of a sleeper. So don't, don't sleep on him when he's coming back from injury. Put him on the back of your bench. You never know. You might, if you're streaming tight ends, 
he might be somebody who you end up keeping, you know, after, after, you know, a couple of weeks. Of yeah, for Irv, I think he, he kind of becomes. That... Are, are you guys cool like that now? Like you just call him Irv now? Yeah. Yeah. It's your boy. Irv. He's my boy. Irv. All right, cool. He's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I think this is amazing for Irv's value because he's going to be dropping to like the last pick or second or last pick of your drafts. He's not going to get drafted. <laughs> he's not going to get it. And what's perfect is like, if he's, I always draft a backup tight end. You, you know, know what's funny? You know what's funny about this? Me and you are like the only people who are like still drafting. I mean, obviously there's people going to still be drafting after the preseason is over. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but like so many people have drafted already. Right. Like, and this yeah, is like, we're, we're, we're in a different world. We're like, we're yeah. drafting like every other day. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but my whole point is I'm always drafting a backup tight end and always going for an upside backup tight end because that's been my strategy for all these years. I mean, last year I got like Logan Thomas the year before I got like Darren Waller. And like, that was my thing of just like getting these really late guys who have huge upside and Ir- Irv Smith can be that guy this year because you're getting him with your last pick. If you have a starting tight end, are you planning on benching him for Irv Smith for the first four weeks? No. If I have Travis Kelsey, I'm starting Travis Kelsey for the first four weeks. And then guess what? Irv comes back. He's healthy. He's killing it. I have perfect trade bait. Or if Travis Kelsey is in a bye week, I have a perfect bye week fill-in. So, like, there's if you're going to draft, if Irv is your second tight end, then he's a no-brainer because he's going to come back when your guy's hurt or when your guy's in a bye week, when your guy's hurt, or you can trade him and then improve your team that way. So, uh, in terms of drafting Irv, rather than having to draft him as your tight end one and hope he hits his upside, you draft him as your tight end too. He's a perfect backup. I think um, you know the way that you talk, like, is so convincing. But like, I, I, me personally, I could never keep an injured player, you know, with like like Irv Smith on my roster for you can keep him four in weeks. Keep him sure. in your IR. But it, here's the thing: if there's no- player or not, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. If you have, <laughs> let's think about it this way: if you have a wide receiver on your bench. And you know you're not starting him those first four weeks. Are you just dropping him or are you just holding him? And if you're uh, drafting uh, a backup tight end anyway, who's not going to see the field, would you just drop him anyway? Like you have the backup tight end for a reason. You know what I mean? I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I use that <laughs> roster spot. The way I use that roster spot is I, I pick up players who can potentially break out that week. And if yeah, they don't break out, I don't, if they don't break <laughs> out, I drop them. So I always have a watch list of players who can break out every single week, right? Justin Jefferson, right? Last season, right? When did he break out? Week, what, week three? Some I think it was a week four, something like that, right? So like these are the type of players you, you keep an eye on because you know that the roles are changing. You pick them up, throw them at the end of your bench, and, and then they can pop off and then you already have them, right? That's how I use that spot because what ends up happening is if I pick up a player who I'm waiting to break out and I know that nothing's changing, nothing's changing, nothing's changing. For me personally, that roster spot is a little bit of a waste because I can have my bench work for me. And and that's kind of how I like to like potentially reach for that upside continuously on an every week basis, instead of keeping my eggs in that one basket for four weeks. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. Strategies is different, different boats for different floats. That's how it goes, right? That's that's what what the saying goes. Different boats for different floats. I will say if you have an IR spot, it is a great move though. 
because then you it, can just keep them in IR and have that bench spot freeze. One hundred percent. If you have an IR spot and you're not using it, like you got to, like you have to use your IR spot. If there's anybody, you know that you. Here's one thing that you do at the end of drafts. You literally draft a player that you know is going to be on IR, <laughs> right? So like you yeah. draft them in the 14th round, you put them in your IR spot, or whether it's Irv Smith or whoever else. Um, and then after you put them in your IR slot, you just pick up another player when the draft is over with that empty roster spot. That's like Chris it. Herndon. Just like Chris Herndon. <laughs> um, all right. So the Broncos have named Teddy Bridgewater the starting quarterback. Um Ooh. And which is, which is awesome, right? Like for Jerry Judy in particular. Now, which is another thing that was pretty cool was that um, Cortland Sutton came back, caught a touchdown from Ooh. Teddy. So he's back. And now if you're drafting Cortland Sutton um, or if you're, you have yet to draft and you were always you were wondering about Cortland Sutton, at least now you know that he's healthy. At least he's, re- he's healthy enough to take the field, which is a great thing. Right. If you were already drafting and you were in Cortland Sutton, you know, was was in your, you know, you're looking at Cortland Sutton while you were drafting. You're like, well, I don't know how healthy he is. I don't know how he's going to be because reports on Sutton weren't really that great. Right. During the during the offseason, like it's but even just a couple of weeks ago, like they were saying that Cortland Sutton isn't there quite just yet. You know, things like that. And you're just negative tones throughout. But Cortland Sutton came back first game, scored a touchdown. So good for him. He's back. He has upside, um, even coming off the ACL. So uh, he's somebody that, you know, like he's not going late enough for me to be like, okay, sure. Like I'm going to target him like that. But, um, you know, Jerry Judy is the guy I'd rather have. I think that he just fits better with Teddy Bridgewater. But this is good news for Teddy, uh, for, for, for Teddy, obviously, for, 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 for Judy, uh, you know, KJ Hamler, depending on if he's only running deep routes or not, maybe not. He might be better with Drew Locke, but KJ Hamler's yeah. a good route runner as well. And he had amazing college production. So I would look out for him as well, because remember, Teddy Bridgewater was able to, to produce three top 30 wide receivers last year uh, in Carolina. So just keep an eye out, you know, don't, don't ignore his other wide receivers outside of Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Yeah, and I think what's amazing is Teddy was able to <laughs> – keep three top 30 wide receivers with throwing less than 20 touchdowns in the entire year. There were a total of 16 touchdowns, passing touchdowns to go around for the Carolina Panthers quarterbacks. And I think PJ Walker was responsible for like one or two of those. Right. So, and when you said less than 20, I'm like 20 was a lot. Like 20 is not, it wasn't even close to 20. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like closer to 15. So it's just, it's just hilarious. Um, James Winston also named starting quarterback for the Saints. Um, that was an easy call, man, after that big game that he had a couple of weeks ago, throwing two touchdowns, only having one incompletion, no interceptions, right? That was key. Um, so he won the competition. Listen, I think Taysom Hill's still going to be involved. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be in packages, especially in the red zone. So, you know, don't get your hopes up of him not seeing the field if you have Alvin Kamara. But I think this is a good thing for Marquez Callaway. Obviously, we saw the type of rapport that these two had uh, with each other. Taysom Hill had some rapport with him too, which to me just signals that he's a damn good wide receiver, right? Um, so, you know, that's, you know, good for him. Marquez Callaway was his thing. I do want to ask one question about Marquez Callaway in a second, but Alvin Kamara, I think he gets a boost. Maybe we're not used to Jameis Hill dumping the ball down to his running James back. Hill. But- <laughs> 
did I say James Hill? You combined the two. You know why? Because do you, you remember the 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 ESPN personality Jamel Hill? No, no. She was on like some show. What? Never mind. I'm just I'm just making shit up and excuses for myself now. But James Winston, um, you know, we're not used to him like you know throwing the ball down like to running backs and stuff. But this is the Saints' offense. This is what they do, right? So like this is Jameis Winston is just going to be uh, doing whatever Sean Payton asked him to do, and part of that is dumping the ball down to Alvin Kamara uh, whenever he can't get that read going. And Alvin Kamara is going to be the first read on a lot of plays because that's what they do now. Um, moving forward, Taysom Hill, you know, what he would have done, like if he was the quarterback is not dump the ball down as much, he would have tucked the ball and run it, right? Mm. He would have ran the ball 10 to 15 times a game, which is several um, check downs that Alvin Kamara would have got from a normal quarterback who doesn't run like Jameis Winston. So this works out for Alvin Kamara. So he gets a boost for me with this news. I'm hoping that Jameis Winston can keep the job. That's my hope. I'm rooting for the guy because I do not want to stop seeing workout videos and I do not want to stop <laughs> seeing him, his pregame routine. I want I to see not, him eat a W. I want to, he got to eat W's all day long. So that's, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. Um, uh, any other boost, man? Like, do you see any other, like uh, any other wins or is Marquez Calloway and Alvin Kamara the only players that matter? Oh, by the way, I want to know what you think about Jameis too as a fantasy yeah. option. So I do like Jameis. He's in my top 20. He's fringe top 15 for me. Um, look, I, I think with how much money they're paying Taysom Hill, I would be extremely, extremely, extremely surprised if, if they don't use him more. And what I mean by that is not just playing quarterback, but they're going to use him out wide, especially with Michael Thomas guy. Taysom Hill is going to be all over the place. I feel like part of Taysom Hill's thing is that he was like guaranteed the starting job when Breeze left. He was kind of like introduced to that role, hence why he started the last five games, even with Winston there. Um but he ultimately lost the competition. He's being paid a lot of money. He's going to be used as a runner. He's going to be used as a pass catcher. He's going to line up a tight end. He's going to have some passes. And I'm concerned that if Jameis Winston starts to hit his old ways and throw all these picks, he could get benched. And then Taysom Hill could come in. And, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. But, look, Alvin Kamara, I've been all over him this entire offseason, regardless of whether it was going to be Taysom, whether it was going to be Jameis. He's a top three pick, no doubt. Does this make? I think this makes him an argument for number two. I mean, between him and Dalvin, I, I think you really can make an argument for Alvin Kamara being that high with James Winston. Uh, Marquez Callaway, the clear winner. We're still very confused about this tight end group, and Adam Troutman getting hurt did not help that at all. It seems like Juwan Johnson, their uh, rookie from last year, like a sixth, seventh-round rookie wide receiver, has transitioned to tight end, and he's been doing it pretty well. And he was lining up with the starters, and he was getting targeted as well. So... Juwan Johnson, is he someone to look out for? I don't know. Even with Breeze in his prime, this is not an offense that supported more than like two or three guys. This was Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. And then like, okay, throw in Brandon Cooks or throw in a little bit of this. So you're going to have Marquez Callaway. You're going to have Alvin Kamara and we'll see what else comes up for him. 
When are you targeting Marcus Callaway? <laughs> That's a great question because I have a slow draft going on right now and I'm deciding like when I, I it's in a two QB league, but I'm thinking around the ninth and 10th. That's not a bad spot to get him. I, I don't know if I feel comfortable, even though he's, it's funny because like in my mind, he's going to produce like a wide receiver three, three, probably like a wide receiver two. But I just don't feel comfortable taking him as that guy. Like, especially if Michael Thomas does come back, then, you know, he might fall off a little bit. He still might be relevant because of his chemistry with Jameis Winston. And the fact that, I mean, if we saw preseason, it takes one or two passes for him to have a big game, especially if he's, you know, Michael Thomas is going to take away the number one coverage, <laughs> but um, yeah, like ninth, 10th, that, that's where I if, feel if comfortable you, with him. If you want Marquez Callaway, <laughs> I don't think you can wait until the ninth or 10th round. But you know what? I think if I don't you, get Callaway, I get Elijah Moore. So I'm chill. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I, I think you, if you want Callaway, you got to take him in the eighth. As of today, I think if, if you want him, you got to take him in the eighth. Now, you know, Jerry Judy's being taken before now. Like his price has risen about a round or so. So he's, mm-hmm. he's gone. I, I'm I'd rather take him. Um, so it's really like at that spot, like you're looking, the wide receivers you're looking at is Antonio Brown. Corey Davis, you know, who I've been taking early as well. I've been taking shots on Corey Davis in the seventh, by the way. Depending on who you're drafting with, you got to take these shots because after the sixth round, people are just grabbing whoever. ADP is flying out the window at that point, right? So guys like Corey Davis, guys like Antonio Brown, and guys like Marquez Calloway, um, those are the guys you kind of have to choose in between, right? And like, Corey Davis, like, is probably going to be, you know, the, 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 the one, right, at least to start the season, right? Marquez Callaway is going to be the one to start the season. I'm not sure you could say the same thing about Antonio Brown, but, you know, Antonio Brown's trajectory can look upward. Corey Davis is you're hoping that it stays like that throughout the season. Marquez Callaway, you're hoping that it stays like that throughout the season. Um, can you rank those three guys for me? Marquez Callaway, Corey Davis, and who's the last guy here? Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's going to oh, – Antonio – That's tough, isn't it? That's tough, <laughs> isn't it? Because those guys, those three guys, I think, are like squarely right Seventh, going right round. next to each other. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Pretty so much. I would put AB first, and then I'm going to follow it up with Marquez Callaway. <sighs> but do I want to do that? Okay, so me, <laughs> me, me and you are both huge Elijah Moore supporters. We so are. That's kind of where it lies for me. Of like, part of me likes the upside of Elijah Moore more than Corey Davis. Sure. So like, that's where I'm kind of hesitant. I'm like, okay, well, I feel like I'd rather draft Elijah more than Corey Davis, especially if if I'm if I need a wide receiver three. Yeah. And I'm looking at Corey Davis or Elijah Moore. I'm 100% taking Corey Davis. Yes. Because I, I know agree. I'm going to get that even production. But sure. if I'm drafting late and I'm drafting for upside, right. I'm drafting Elijah Moore. Yep, And that's kind of why I'm so conflicted because AJ, you know, Antonio Brown, he's got great upside and he also has some, you know, not much safety to him, but especially with Brady, he looked good. So I feel comfortable taking him Marquez Calloway, as we know, wide receiver one upside. Um, And then, you know, Corey Davis, I don't know how much upside he truly has. I think he might be like a decent wide receiver too at best, but Elijah Moore is kind of a guy who could take it over the top. So that's how I would order them. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I like it. Uh, it's interesting, man, because like you know, these are the draft stat- strategies that we have to think about. And I, I think that point that you made about needing that wide receiver three, I think I'm most yeah. comfortable uh, taking Corey Davis there. Right after that, for me, 
is Marquez Callaway. And then right after that is Antonio Brown. I'm putting Antonio Brown, okay. Brown last on this list. Um, okay. Jameis Winston uh, starting at quarterback. I already mentioned that. Okay. Stefan Gilmore <laughs> is, start, is going to start the season on the pup, uh, meaning he's going to miss the first six weeks of the season at the very least. So going down the list, week one, Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddell. Upgrade for them. Not that you're drafting Devontae Parker. Maybe you are. Don't. Parker um, had some success on Gilmore, actually. Worth noting. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Corey, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore in week two. Upgrade for them. Marquez Calloway in week three. Upgrade for him. Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. Upgrade for week four. Why didn't I mention Chris Godwin? Because he plays in the slot. Brandon Cooks gets an upgrade in week five. And then in week six, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb get an upgrade uh, and so does Michael Gallup because they're all going to be interchanging. So all those three guys get an upgrade in week six. So a bunch of fantasy relevant wide receivers yeah. who you're, you would have been a little bit, you know, <laughs> worried about in terms of like going up against Stefan Gilmore. Now mm-hmm. I think they get an upgrade. Just watch. Cause JC Jackson's not a scrub either. Sure. But is he Stefan Gilmore? Last year he was pretty playing pretty well. Yeah, Sure. <laughs> sure. Stefan Gilmore at this point, he's been injured in and out. He hasn't last yeah. year. He didn't really play up to his full capabilities. You know? It's true, and, and and well, but he did pretty good though. No, he he did, he did great, but he wasn't like undoubtedly always, the quarterback one. You know, what I there's mean? always that downfall, right? There's yep. always that downfall, right? And the Patriots always do a good job playing on the outside. So yep. you know, he's I'm in his thirties now. So yeah, I'm gonna be way too overconfident with all these wide receivers over the first six weeks. Um, okay. You know what's funny? This is the preseason episode, and we didn't go over like any preseason yet. Pre-season, so yeah. let, let's 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 jump through these pretty quickly. You know, nothing too too significant. But we talked about the Patriots and Giants. Um, let me ask you a question: With Kenny Galladay still hurt with the hamstring injury, are you considering Sterling Shepard at all? I am, especially now that Evan Ingram is also hurt and his status for Week One is also in doubt, and Saquon Barkley's status for Week One is also in doubt. Look, if you're going to spend a 16th round pick on a guy who could be a flex for week one, that's worth a 16th round pick, right? Like Sterling Shepard could be playable week one as a flex guy. And especially, especially if, you're missing... if you're not like, if you drafted a team and you're not confident in your flex, that's yeah. when you draft Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard is looking like a great week one flex option. He's probably, you know, my first starts and sits, he's probably going to be a desperate start just because, yeah. and, and, you know, Matt Harmon, our, our boy over at Yahoo, He's still all over and head over heels for Sterling Shepard and how well he's done as a receiver and how he's uh, charted and scored and things like man uh, man coverage and stuff like that. So Sterling Shepard is still playing at a high level. Okay, let's move on to the Raiders and 49ers. Uh, Raheem Mostert finally revealed in this last preseason game, and, and he looked fucking good, dude. Like, there have been whispers all offseason um, – are you yawning for Raheem Mostert? Is that what you I just did? I don't like the 49ers running backs. Oh, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to keep this one to myself. Um, there's been whispers all offseason that they have been they have a lot in store for Mostert. Um, I, I think the thing with him is, is that, you know, A, he has to stay healthy, and B, he needs more volume. Um, but he, he'll be a fine stopgap for your fantasy team for the first several weeks of the season. Um, Trey Sermon came in after Mostert, played the entire first drive, um, about 10 snaps or so. I think if anything were to happen to Mostert, it can be Trey Sermon's show. Um, If you need a running back for the start of the year, it's Mostert at his price. Um, You want a running back to potentially emerge later in the season, it's Sermon. So, like, if you need an RB2 for whatever reason, 
I, I have no problem grabbing Mostert, um, you know, because you can make adjustments. That's the best thing um, uh, th- throughout the season. So know that if you do draft Mostert, know that he is not going to be your permanent solution at your RB2 position. You have to make moves, uh, but he's going to let, he's going to get you by just fine um, over the first several weeks of the season, especially since you probably went wide receiver heavy um, and got those elite wide receivers early. Um, Wayne Gallman got mm. released. Um, so it looks like, you know, he is not going to be vying for any time, uh, with the 49ers backfield. Um, so I think part of your alphabet soup narrative has fell apart. We lost the C now we only have the D E F and G. Damn it. Exactly. <laughs> Moving on. John Brown, uh, asked the Raiders to release him and they have, he wasn't starting anyway. He was playing in the fourth preseason game with Dylan Stoner, Keelan Doss and DJ Turner. Uh, out, outside of Nathan Peterman, there isn't one skilled player you've heard of besides John Brown. <laughs> and I get why he asked for his release, but it's Brian Edwards season, baby. It is. Moving on to the Rams and Broncos, Tyler Higby hasn't played at all this preseason, which kind of boosts the stock to me a little bit. Uh, more 11 personnel this year. No real rotation, it seems like, at tight end. Um, Johnny Munt seems like the second tight end here, and he's a blocking guy. So after this preseason, I think Higby gets a slight bump for me, especially given all the tight ends who are falling like like crazy in my rankings. Um, any any in, any input on Tyler Higby? I saw a tweet the other day that was like, um, it was something like 25% of all of Tyler Higby's fantasy points in his entire career came from that five-week span that one year. And like, that's it that's it only 25 percent. i feel like it would be like 25 50. 30 something like that I, I don't know the exact number on top of my head but i still define that hilarious and like i don't know i i just there's not a lot of faith and look with tight ends late you're just shooting for upside so I, i'm okay with taking him late i just don't like that his adp is like 10th round when a guy like mike gazeki is going in the 12th because i will never make that decision where i'm taking tyler higby over mike gazeki by the way um I'm warming up to I'm warming up to uh, Gusecki. A little to Big more. Mike. Ooh, you like a Big Mike? That's all I got to say. I got an important draft coming up tomorrow. Um, Cor- <laughs> I'm kidding. Is your brother uh, asking the questions again? Yeah. <laughs> or whoever. Um, all right. So uh, Melvin Gordon came back as well, uh, which is a good sign of his health. He's there were soft, soft tissue injury concerns with him, uh, but proceed with him in a similar situation as like Raheem Moser, for example, except with less. I would say less week-to-week upside than Mostert. Um, I think Mostert can take it to the house on any given play. Gordon, not so much. So Gordon, you know, for the early season start, you can get him super late in drafts. Um, he'll po- probably play a three-down role, not an every-down role, because Javante Williams is going to be very involved. Um, but Gordon will likely be the passing-down guy as well. So he gets a little bit of a boost there. Um, but, like, Javante Williams is, like, the late-season emergence guy, and Gordon is, like, the early-season guy. That's how I kind of look at it. Um, Gordon is less risky at his price, and Javante is more risky, but for a potential higher payoff later in the season. Um, Seahawks and Chargers. Uh, Gerald Everett split time with Will Disley with the starters, and that kind of sucks for Everett, uh, who I was hoping would be like an every-down tight end. Uh, Everett ran only two routes more than Disley in this game. Not ideal for someone who I was pretty interested in, extremely late at tight end, but you know, there are reports that Russell Wilson is targeting Everett a ton during training camp, and they, they really have formed a, a nice rapport. 
So at his price, like there is no reason to like get off of Gerald Everett because he's like going undrafted. Um, and if you can grab him with like the, the second to last pick or last pick of your draft, because, you know, he is, you know, he's not a World Cup secret at this point. Um, yeah. But like, you know, he's a fine late round grab for upside. Like like the, the strategy that you were talking about in terms of like grabbing that upside, you yep. know, tight end too, I think that fits this that mold perfectly. Yeah, and, and I think kind of just to go on that a little bit is like, even if Gerald Everett is splitting time with a guy like Will Disley, first of all, come on, it's Will Disley at this point in his career. He's had all these injuries, whatever. Um, second of all, the familiarity with the offense with Shane Waldron and the fact that maybe they do, um, you know, maybe they do run some two tight end personnels or something like that, especially since they don't really have a third wide receiver who's all that worth being on the field in Seattle right now, uh, Dwayne Eskridge. I don't know how far away he is, but you know, uh, but yeah, look, I mean, you're not drafting Gerald Everett as like, okay, he's going to be a top five consistent week to week tight end. You're drafting him as a, okay, he's going to have big games. Oh, you are. What? Huh? Hmm. Huh? I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> no, I said I am. I'm drafting him to be my top five tight end. I've been doing it all offseason uh, just because, like, I want to just be right on this one because I've avoided taking tight ends. Um, and, uh, you know, just because, like, I love all the depth at running back. I mean, you know, I try to get as much running back depth as possible. And then mm-hmm. I love so many wide receivers this year that are going late uh, just to kind of hit. I want to hit on at least one or two of those guys. Um, and then be able to hit on that late round tight end, and then I win every championship. Please, yeah. please, please go on. No, I was basically done. I mean, like, <laughs> you, you, like you shouldn't be viewing this as a guy who's going to be a top five tight end. You just kind of view him as a week to week. Okay, he has that upside to be a top five tight end this week. It doesn't mean he's always going to hit it. So the fact that he's you know interchanging roles with Will Disley and whatever doesn't really bother me because that's not really how I viewed him. Good. Good. more confident now uh bills and packers emmanuel sanders with Ooh. seven targets from josh allen this bills starting offense played way too much in this game for no reason um <laughs> he'll be great i think like emmanuel sanders is going to be great for like five weeks um but gabriel davis has a shot to break out if sanders were to get hurt this is a pass heavy offense but you know it doesn't look like gabriel davis is going to play over sanders right now um and you know he was out targeted uh by sanders seven to five or something like that uh davis was playing exclusively on the outside and sanders was kind of moving around the slot outside kind of playing that z role um now if you're drafting davis it's it's to stash him and i'm assuming that you'll likely be able to pick him up off of waivers in a couple weeks after the season starts you know assuming your league doesn't have like seven or eight bench spots because there's not many leagues that I hate more than leagues that have like eight bench spots because what ends up happening Mm -hmm. is that everyone's hoarding players. Right. And like, you don't have to make those tough decisions of who to drop. Right. There's usually one obvious guy. I feel like the, the, the optimal number of bench spots is like six in a 12 team league or a 10 team league. What do you think? You think five or six, (laughs) or do you think not more than that? Right. Um, I like to, well, that's tough because I play in a lot of IDP leagues. So forget about IDP, of, huh? Forget about IDP, throw IDP out the window. Never, 
Come on, Jordan. Send it to Jordan. He's going to be so ashamed of you. Our, our friend Jordan, the Cardi B of IDP, is going to be upset. Self, but, self, self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. It's true. Um, look, like I'm seven bench spots. I think is the sweet spot. Ugh. Six, six is doable because I usually like to have a backup tight end. I like everyone there. Uh, I like yeah, a sure. deeper bench, and I think you can kind of um, like if you have six and like an IR spot, that's fine. If you have seven in an IR spot, that's fine. If you have eight, you do not need an IR spot. So like that's just kind of how I view it as like I, I'd rather have a larger bench because I think it makes it more fun. Here's here's my ideal uh, starting lineup in bench. Okay, you ready? <laughs> forget about IDP for a second. Um, and, and and superflex, I love superflex, but forget about sure, that for sure. a second. Sure, sure. Quarterback, sure. one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, two flex, and one defense. No tight end. And then, oh yeah, and tight end. I'm sorry, and one tight end, and six bench spots, and then two IRs. That's that's how I like to roll. I like the, I like the two IRs with that. Yeah, I like the two IRs too. Okay. Anyway, anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but the point is that Emmanuel Sanders is going to be fantasy relevant while he's healthy, and Gabriel Davis can pop off like he did in this past game. By the way, he did a lot more with his five targets than Sanders did with his. I think Sanders like caught like five balls for like twenty yards, and 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 Davis had like eighty yards on five targets and a touchdown. So, moving on. Jets and Eagles. Um, Jordan Howard and Kerryon Johnson were both released. So, Miles Sanders is the guy on early downs, and he always was. Don't tell anyone. Don't let anyone tell you different. The only running back the Eagles are rolling with is Sanders, Boston Scott, and Kenny Gainwell. I feel like Sanders is extremely underrated going into the season. I, I don't. I, listen, I, and that goes with me saying this. I don't have Miles Sanders in any league so far. But at the same time, I'm, under, I'm underestimating him. I think everybody is. Um, it's really about the wide receivers going around where he's going and the fact that I don't think he's going to be like extremely involved in the passing game. That's why DeAndre Swift has always been the only running back that I'd like to take in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm not taking DeAndre Swift in that range, it's one of the, one of the wide receivers, or if, you know, if, uh, Darren Waller falls, right. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I look at that situation, that, that range. Um, but yeah, Miles Sanders is the dude. Um, who do you think is going to be more involved here? I mean, Boston Scott has been the RB two this preseason. Um, do you see him being more fantasy relevant or do you think Kenny Gainwell can have some sort of role here? I think Kenny Gainwell is going to make a name for himself. And I think the quote that sticks out to me the most about this is Nick Nick Sirianni relating Kenny Gainwell to Naheem Hines. So, um, and I think him making that comparison to me kind of says like, okay, even if he's not ready for that kind of role right now, we want to get him ready and we want to put him in that role. So I think Kenny Gainwell's role is going to grow over the course of the season. Um, He's a Memphis guy. I and mean, we've seen a lot of these Memphis guys, Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson, Daryl Henderson. Uh, they, they've all, you know, held up their reputation. And they all, it, it's funny because they, other than Antonio Gibson kind of being the outlier here, t- like Tony Pollard and Daryl Henderson are like perfect, like counterparts to their number ones. Especially Pollard, dude. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. like for me this season, Pollard might be my number one handcuff. Yeah, and, and and that's my point of like, I mean, obviously the school doesn't 
follow, you know, make everything solid. But like that, that's why I think Kenny Gainwell, if he's following in the footsteps of some of those guys, and Kenny Gainwell was playing over a lot of these other guys when he was actually in college. Uh, I think he was playing over Antonio Gibson, um, you know, which is why Gibson only had like 33 carries or whatever it is in um, college. So, yeah, you know, I, I think if Kenny Gainwell hits his upside, he could be a valuable late round pick. But Miles Sanders 100% has lost that pass catching role. He's had such a bad issue with drops. He's really fallen off in that respect. And I think they're kind of done putting him in that position. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be either Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott in that role. Yeah, um, Kenny Gamewell was second uh, among all college prospects in 2019 in yards per route run um, yeah. among all running backs with at least 40 targets. Um, the guy who, who was first ran 40, ran 70 less routes than he did. Um, his 2.39 yards per route run was third best over the last several years. That was only behind Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon. So uh, Very good company, in, the two best running backs in the league. <laughs> dude i love it uh he was he was fourth in career yards per route run along with christian mccaffrey alvin Kamara, and curtis samuel remember curtis samuel used to be a running back good company right there guys Very good. um and then you got to remember that he played ahead of antonio gibson in 2019 right so can he be have an impact in ppr leagues yes would I rather draft him over James White in leagues at the end of the drafts? Yes. Upside. Upside, baby. Okay, moving on. Friday, baby. Fuck yeah. <laughs> moving on. Uh, no. Um, so we talked about Elijah Moore already. We talked about Corey Davis. So we, we don't have to talk about that. Uh, but I do want to talk about Tevin Coleman. He's a starter right now, followed by Ty Johnson as the 1B, followed by Michael Carter. Carter is currently off my draft board, which really hurts to say because I love Michael Carter. I'm a Michael Carter apologist, but I'm taking shots at both Coleman and Ty Johnson super late in drafts. The guy I personally think has the most upside here is Ty Johnson. Combination of speed and strength, like, just draws draws me to him over Coleman. Did you see him truck that dude this weekend? Like, it was a serious play right there. Um but, you know, I think the coaching staff knows Coleman pretty well from his days in San Francisco, so they don't necessarily need to see too much of him in the preseason. That's just what I like to believe, just because I want to believe that. But yeah. Ty, Ty Johnson, you know, to me, like, he can, he seems like he can emerge as the 1A, and beat reporters do believe that he's been the best back in camp this offseason. Yeah, and, and I think um, with the Jets, they, they had Michael Carter as someone who they were targeting in the second round. Um, but he ended up falling all the way to them in the fourth round. I saw the report of like, oh, they had a second round grade on him. Right. But ultimately, like, especially in the preseason, I was hoping Michael Carter would like blow up. I hope he'd like break free, run this long touchdown and be like, yeah, that's Michael Carter. He didn't really do much. Right. And then guys like Ty Johnson did. And Ty Johnson, even last year looked great. Uh, we can safely say that Michael P. Ryan is just garbage true shoot get out of here michael michael p ryan he's out of here so i don't think tevin coleman's really gonna last that long either i honestly imagine this backfield without tevin coleman and the combination of ty johnson and michael carter i think that'd be fantastic i was surprised tevin coleman didn't get cut to be honest yeah um wait you say tevin coleman really yeah oh but like they were saving him man like it seems like he was going to be their rb1 this whole time you know, and uh, and the reason why they like him, and I got some insight from Jason Aponte, who who's okay. big on the 49ers. 
it was just that they just love all the little things that he does in terms of like pass protection and things like that. Mm. You know, it's not it's not so much like you know the, the, the running ability, hold the fort down in the running back room kind of guy. Malcolm Brown, right? Yep. Like like Perfect. that type of that, that type of player. Never heard a better comparison to a role on a team than Tevin Coleman to Malcolm Brown. That yeah. is perfect. Wow. I, I would say Tevin Coleman's like a little bit better, but like it's basically the reason why coaches like him. You know, he, they do all the little things right. Arguably, which is why Malcolm Brown was better is, last year. Yeah, which is why like Kyle Shanahan like you know handpicked Tevin Coleman too to join him. Um, but yeah, moving on. Panthers and Steelers. Uh, another Panthers, another team, like just like leaving the start. I think Sam Darnold was in there for like 40 snaps in this game. Why? Why? Um, DJ and including the, all the wide receivers too. DJ Moore uh, ran 26 routes in this game, <laughs> six targets. Um, Robbie Anderson also ran 26 routes, had five targets. Terrace Mar- Marshall had four targets, but played significantly less snaps than the other two. Um, because they ran a lot of 12 personnel uh, when he came in in 11 personnel with three wide receivers in the field he ran 18 routes and 13 of those 18 routes were was from the slot so it looks like my man Terrence Marshall is going to be their primary slot wide receiver the big slot right this is the role oh, yeah. that Justin Jefferson was playing in this Joe Brady offense at LSU in 2019 um, between DJ Boy and Robbie Anderson Robbie had more routes from the slot um so like if you look at the target per route rate marshall had about the same rate as 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 more so the more 11 personnel that they run the better for terrace marshall obviously um terrace marshall has to be drafted um you can still get this dude like pretty late in drafts despite him consistently making plays in preseason with the first team and sam darnold i think it's funny because like he made a lot of plays in preseason but like his adp hasn't like moved as much as i thought it would and I think it's because the fact that, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson is still there. So people are like, well, what kind of role will Terrence Marshall really play? But I think that it's very possible that Terrence Marshall, you know, is like relatively close to these guys in terms of fantasy production. That that world is still there. It's very possible. Yeah, I mean, Terrence Marshall is going later than all these other guys. Um and even you know it's just it's not even later than these guys like he's i've seen him go undrafted in some drafts still like at this point like why he shouldn't be going in the 16th round right like his adp i don't know what his adp is but like i all i know is for like what where i've been drafting is that he's been available super late yeah he really has um him and okay who would you rather have okay him or elijah moore elijah moore not even okay. close. Him or Jacoby Myers? Um, Better one. Jacoby Myers. Okay. Him or McCole Hardman? Him. Okay. Well, okay. Him or, Brian, him or Brian Edwards? Him. Brian Edwards. Darnell Mooney. Mooney. Okay. I can't think of anyone else, but that was good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on. That was great. Uh, all right, so the Jaguars, this is the last team I wanted to talk about. Um, two straight weeks of LaVisca uh, being a favorite of Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, Marvin Jones didn't play in this game. Uh, but with the ETN injury, I can see LaVisca, you know, get a bump in targets here for the season. I think he can be a relatively safe PPR play 
every single week, like mm-hmm. a high floor type of player who we know can make plays after the catch too, right? Um, and I think I might be ranking him as like a high floor wide receiver three, which to me like seemed a little bit crazy like a couple months ago, but now I think that it's like easily in the plans uh, for, for LaVisca. Just seeing how they use them, seeing his rapport with, with Lawrence. Um, obviously, DJ Shark, you know, he's going to throw a wrench into things, you know, when he's back. Um, but Shark, like, I don't know, man. Like, he hasn't really got to create any chemistry with Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they did before he got hurt. I don't know. But it looks like Marvin Jones had great chemistry with Lawrence. It looked like LaVisca had great chemistry with Lawrence. Like, does Shark also have great chemistry with Lawrence? Or does that mean, mean Trevor Lawrence is actually good? Like, d- despite of the despite the fact that, like, the Jaguars look like a hot mess, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence looks like somebody who might still be good uh, despite, you know, uh, a hot mess around him. Um, now between the two guys, like, I, I think I like Marvin Jones more still because of the fact that like each of his targets are going to be like, Marvin Jones or between Marvin Jones and Trevor Lawrence, uh, uh, Marvin Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Marvin <laughs> Jones and, and, uh, LaVisca. Um, just because like, I think that each of Marvin Jones targets are just going to be more valuable, you know, the higher a dot more down the field, more end zone targets, um, you know, more, you know, he's just going to be playing on the outside. When you're playing on the outside, it's just more upside. Um, and if Marvin Jones actually does become the 1A on this offense, you know, over Chark and over LaVisca, I just think he has a lot of upside, um, you know, on a per-target basis. How are you viewing LaVisca, man? Do you think that he he deserves to be, uh, you know, ranked as a solid PPR wide receiver three? I think he does. I don't know if he's going to be in any of my teams. Only because I feel like his value is about to be way overblown. I think someone else is going to snag him before I even get the chance to consider him. I think he's going to end up being a sixth, seventh rounder if he isn't already. And I think the reason for that is people think he's going to assume Travis Etienne's entire role, which is getting <laughs> no. out of the backfield, being that slash player. He's, you know, this guy, he's talented, but he doesn't have the speed, right? He doesn't have the speed to play that kind of role. That's just not the kind of guy he we, who. That's just not the kind of guy he is. And if he was, guess what? Irv, uh, Irv Meyer. Jesus Christ. We're Urban. scrambled tonight. Urban. There you go. Urban Meyer wouldn't have drafted ETN for that. If he felt comfortable with LaVisca playing that role, he would have just named LaVisca that role and the Jaguars could have actually taken a position they needed. So like for me, yeah, I think LaVisca could week to week be a PPR value and, you know, produce. And I think we're kind of undervaluing. Like it, It's kind of like before when I talked about the Colts, like, okay, someone has to be relevant here, right? You look at the Jaguars, no tight ends. Yes, they have James Robinson. There's no clear wide receiver one. Someone has to be relevant here. So yeah, LaVisca, I like him in the seventh, eighth turn. I think that's the highest I would consider him. But I just think he's going to be taken way before I can consider him. Marvin Jones, I do like Marvin Jones. They made an underrated post by him not so long ago. I do like him better than DJ Chark. But I think when DJ Chark is back, there is going to be a mix of where those targets are distributed between Marvin Jones and DJ Chark. I don't think Chark is just going to be left for the dust. I think he's going to be the third wide receiver on this team when it comes to target share. But I don't think he's going to be left in the dust either. So I think 
when it comes to deep targets, Marvin Jones and DJ Chark are going to have their share. And then LaVisca is going to own that slot and he's going to own those short to intermediate targets. And I think Marvin Jones might filter on an intermediate as well. So yeah. um, that, that's why I think LaVisca is going to be consistent. I like him over Marvin still, but I'll take Marvin over DJ Chark and you're going to get Marvin way after Chark is going to be available. Yeah, it's crazy how early Chark is going <laughs> despite him being, you know, not by not playing at all this entire yeah. preseason because of injury. Um, and if you don't draft LaVisca Chenault, like you're not going to be able to get the team name Asta, Asta LaVisca. LaVisca, baby. You're not going to be able to get that team name. So I've you might as well LaVisca just names lately. You might as well draft him uh, just to get that name. All right. That'd do it, guys. Uh, we are going to um, come up with another podcast for this Friday. Uh, today's Wednesday. This is when this podcast is dropping. Um, and we'll, we'll see you guys again on Friday, but thank you guys for listening. Um, that's a wrap for preseason. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously be back next week with a couple of episodes. Um, you know, I've, we're going to kind of get, pro- probably get a mailbag in and probably some other topics by then a lot of things will, will be going down. A lot, a lot of news will, will be going down. So we'll be able to kind of break all that down for you. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll see you guys soon. Take it easy. Uh, and it, by the way, guys, if you can rate the podcast, like that would be amazing. Like if you can, you know, give us like a full five stars, that would be even better, you know, just so that more people can find it. If you can share the podcast with anybody, that would be awesome too. Like we, we, we try our best here and the more people know about it, the better for us. So we really appreciate you guys. All right, Joe. Uh, I'm Faraz at Upper Hand Fantasy. That's Joe fantasy.football.analyst on Instagram. Go check us out there. Uh, We'll see you guys soon. See ya. See you.